Welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. Well into our second year of interviews with Franklin Covey thought leaders, best-selling authors, and a whole variety of guests that the Franklin Covey family and brand bring in that we think will be interesting to you on each of your own journeys towards becoming a more impactful and principled leader. Now, about six months ago, I had the privilege of interviewing one of our two global senior vice presidents, Jennifer Colosimo. And although we had our interview about the seven habits of highly effective people, no, she wasn't the co-author of that book. She did, however, co-author a book with Dr. Stephen R. Covey called Great Work, Great Career that went on to great, great sales and acclaim. We brought her in to talk about the seven habits, and it was until recently the highest rated best ranked and most viewed in our entire series. So we brought Jennifer Colosimo back on a different topic, but to have a very similar conversation. Jen, welcome back. Thank you, Scott. Hey, not too shabby that you had the highest rated, ranked, reviewed. Yep, you were dethroned recently, I'm sorry to tell you. But the good news is it was by a major celebrity, Stephanie McMahon, from WWE. Oh, I loved that interview. If you're going to be dethroned, that's the right person. It's true. So Stephanie McMahon is the chief brand officer of WWE. They have a billion social followers. My sense is that probably helped lift her interview. But if you saw it, she was so She was so compelling. And, 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 and authentic. And then the next couple of weeks, I saw her on Undercover Boss, the TV program. Oh, if you've not seen it. I've got to see it. Extraordinary. I, I'm not, I haven't watched that program very often, but Stephanie McMahon... Uh, dethroned you and apologize. So. Well, but you're back. Like I said, I'm honored to have come it's in true. second in this it's case. It's true. At least it wasn't one of my direct camera <laughs> interviews, right? So <laughs> welcome back. When you were here last, we had a great conversation about the seven habits. Of yes. course, the book written by Dr. Stephen R. Covey in its 30th year, 30 million copies sold. And we're re-releasing it with Sean Covey as a co-author in the spring of 2020. Great. So maybe we'll have you back to talk about how well you're doing on the new seven habits. Great. We ranked ourselves. For our audience that yes. remembers, you and I rated ourselves on a scale of one to 10 on each of the seven habits. I don't think I ever got above a three. I think you maybe <laughs> you got to a four. You were too humble. I was too accurate. But I think it was helpful for us to have a conversation. So today we have you here because we have a new leadership solution that we launched about a year and a half ago. I'm gonna have you talk about that. It's going to become a book of which you've been heavily involved in the design and visioning of that manuscript. Yes. That'll come out in about a year and a half from now. Talk to us about the four essential roles of leadership. It's a two-day leadership offering, soon to be a book. Walk us through the genesis of how this came to be. Well, many years ago, you'll have to tell me the, exactly how many, Dr. Covey wrote a book called Principle-Centered Leadership. I think about 25. 25. So that Principle-Centered Leadership book was so well-received, uh, really took what he had learned from the seven habits and applied it to leadership, had a lot right. of new thought leadership. We had a course named right, that. Right. Um, that evolved to the four roles of leadership. I that, yeah. And some of our clients may remember then it evolved to great leaders. The principles aren't changing, but the practices, the tools, they change as you go forward. So the principles have much in common. Went to great leaders. Uh, a few years ago, we started a research project. Yeah. Um, chief learning officers. We hired a research firm. We went all around the world about what are the key things leaders, that's why it says essential, right. the 80-20 of what they need to do to be the most effective leaders. There's lots of things leaders need to do. So this no is shortage of it. no <laughs> shortage of things, and we're always learning. This isn't supposed to be all-inclusive, but the most essential four roles, the four essential things that leaders need to do to be effective. Yeah. So you are a senior vice president. You lead our 
U.S. and Canadian sales force and a whole other smattering of divisions that needed a home in the company, right? <laughs> yes. And doing it exceptionally well. Thank you. Uh, you've been in the firm for longer than I have. You started in 1996. Sorry. Okay, same year, though. Same but, yeah, year. Before, yeah. You've had multiple roles. You now are really are sort of the chief sales officer, so mm -hmm. to speak, in the company, mm -hmm. leading, leading the vast majority of, of all of our corporate revenue. Uh, we're going to talk about each of these four roles. As we do that, I'd like you to be ranking your self, if you will, kind of on how you think you're doing, how you're struggling. I think it's always nice to have a senior executive level leader talk about authentically, vulnerably, yes. where you struggle. Yes. So we'll go through that. This course was launched about 18 months ago. Yes. Tell us who ideally is benefiting from the four essential roles of leadership. Ideally, mid to senior level leaders, yeah. not executive, but but having said that, I think executives can benefit. It's targeted really at mid to yeah. senior. Yeah. There's a couple of key, really philosophical underpinnings that come historically from us and that we tend to believe, that we believe in that drive this. One, leadership is a choice, not a position. Yeah. I can have this title, you can have your title, but that doesn't mean I'm a leader, right? It's a choice. It's also that there's skills that your can- Your people kind of decide They kind of decide. Uh, it's a, I think it's a John Maxwell quote. If you're leading and no one's following, you're just out for a walk, yeah. right? Like you don't have to choose to follow that person, maybe with the formal positional power, but would people choose to follow you? Yeah. There's skills that can be taught. It means that there's progress. So leading, I kind of see management as working in the system. Can you do what we're supposed yeah. to do today and Super make it important. happen? Super important right. operationally. Yeah. Leadership is, you know, can we move? Am I working on the system right. versus right. in the system? Yeah. And um, in addition, it really means that you need to be able to lead in a way that you are achieving things in partnership through with other people. Yeah, well said. Jen, you are an executive level leader, both in our firm. You had a small sabbatical outside of Franklin Covey where you were an executive level leader. If you had not been heavily steeped in your entire career as a leadership expert, my sense is you as an executive leader would benefit from this because you are a seasoned leadership expert in a leadership role. It's aimed primarily at mid to senior levels. I had the privilege of teaching this to a group of executives in, in Beijing mm -hmm. about a year ago. Yes. These were seasoned people, and I was captivated at how much even the president of this multi-billion dollar division, very competent executive, she happened to be, I think, a female chemical engineer mm -hmm. by training, came up to be the, the CEO or president's division, and she was really captivated with the four roles, which was very validating to me because no matter how senior we get, we still sometimes, to quote Dr. Covey, you know, to know but not to do, it's not, not to, to know, know, right? So yeah. let's do a cursory review. We'll rank ourselves okay. along the way. Hopefully I'll be higher than a one on these. So okay. the four essential roles of leadership. These, by the way, this card deck is part of the participant kit. For all of our clients that know, we're actually pretty big on including tangible tools. We like cards. Our clients love our cards. Yes. So the reason I have these cards today is when everyone, whenever someone goes through the course, they also receive the card deck as well. Great. You're welcome to hold yours or keep them wherever okay. you want. Okay. The first one is a quick overview of the four essential roles. The first role, I'm getting old, I should know this, is <laughs> inspire trust. Give us a few minutes on the concept of inspiring trust. Well, a lot of this content from Inspire Trust, we have new and exciting content based on what CLOs and other leaders, yeah. executive level leaders, told us were the 80-20 and we have such great content on trust, uh, Leading at the Speed of Trust yeah. by Stephen M. R. Covey. So mm -hmm. some of it is pulled from that. Um, briefly, the main thing is, are you a credible leader? 
and it's really unpacked as to what builds credibility, both your, in well, your integrity, your intent, your capabilities, your results, and then are you someone some people would choose to follow? Are you working on yourself? Secondarily, have you been really clear about the culture you're trying mm -hmm. to create? Yeah. Do you have a team culture? You may have it in your head, but have you been really clear? So how do you inspire trust both by your own credibility and building your team culture? You know, I served as the chief marketing officer for this firm for nearly eight years. I still am somewhat involved in marketing. And I'm often asked by, by people around the world, why do you have a number on everything? Seven <laughs> habits and the four roles and, and the six critical practices. Five choices. But we believe, we, we, we're more creative than that. But we believe there's value because we do structure things in a bit of a hierarchy. There's a reason why the first essential role is to inspire trust. Because if the team leader isn't modeling high character and high competence, without inspiring trust in others, you're gonna have a low trust culture. Well, and a low trust culture really makes everything go very slowly. Right. So when you get to, you need to execute on results. The main thing leaders think about, yeah. I have to get these results or I'll get fired. Yeah. Well, if you haven't built some level of trust, things go so slow, they're more expensive. Uh, I don't know about you, but once you see an email where the whole world is copied, copied, yeah. it's to sh it's because there's a low trust yeah, right. culture. Yeah, well said. Or BCC'd and you don't know who's copying BCC'd on it. BCC'd, right. I'm always worried about that yeah. one. Yeah. Well, you, don't, you don't know it. You, you don't, don't know, know right. you're just like, what yeah. am I saying and That's who's right. reading it? So the first role is inspired trust. Second role is create vision. So when you think about vision, um, you know, the word's used a lot. When you, when you think about it practically, it's understanding, dependent on your scope of stewardship, do you understand the company's vision? Really, why do we exist, right? There has to be a reason that we exist. And when I say company, that could also be your division in the government. It could be your city. It could yeah. be your nonprofit. Yeah. But why do we exist? And then can I help my team understand why we exist and how we contribute to that? Yeah. If you think about engagement as one of the major challenges we face, how, I mean, if you're going to have meaning, you have to be able to have that team, whether it's the IT team or the operations team or people in customer service or the nursing team, name any industry, the manufacturing team on the line. How does what we do have meaning and serve our customers and the company strategy and why we exist? We'll talk more about this as we go deeper into each of these, but there's a reason why two is two and three is three because it's not enough just to create vision. There's lots of uh, charismatic and visionary leaders who stand up at the town hall and give a great PowerPoint presentation and then they think that their job is done when it's not 10% done, right? You have to create your vision and communicate it. But then you know, the third role, which is to execute strategies actually to make it come alive. It's not enough just to be a great charismatic speaker with the visionary plans, you have to actually put systems in place and behavior change in place. Talk about the third role, execute strategy. Well, I think there's something really interesting you said because these roles, this, these four essential activities, these roles, they're interdependent. Because I also know leaders who execute with excellence and nobody knows why they're doing it. Hmm. You're getting barely willing compliance. They're not engaged, they're not bringing their best because there's no, it's just a slog. So there's the slog leaders, sure. and then there's the supervisionary that don't execute right, effectively. Right, right. So this role, and, and I anybody know, can become both. Oh with yeah, with practice and discipline. It, that's yeah. why they're so interdependent right. because you may have a strength that really leans to one versus the other, and it's not really enough to be highly effective to have one. Yeah. 
you've had uh, Chris McChesney talking about Several the four times. disciplines mm -hmm. of execution. You know, this role, as you think about it, is both can you put a system in place where people know what is the one most important thing that we need to do? As Chris says it, it's at the intersection of very important and not likely to happen without differential effort, right? right? That's a piece. The other piece that's in this is you thinking about what we call the, well, Stephen Covey called the six rights, yeah. right? Do you have, and, and this has been used in many leadership books, maybe framed slightly differently, but uh, do you have the right people? Are they in the right structure? Right. Do you have the right rewards and recognition yeah. system, system in place? Right resources, is the decision-making made at the most effective level? And, um, okay, I'm forget well, look forgetting at you. the last you, you one. Were, I was so impressed well, at your extemporaneousness of that. I use them. Um, That's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a bone here. Uh, let's see. People, structure, rewards, processes. resources, decisions, it's processes. and processes. And process is one of my biggest talents. That cracks me up. Is it, Jen? It is. <laughs> Tell me the truth. It is. It is. We'll Acknowledge. I'm good we'll at process. Back. We'll come back. Let's go to the fourth role. <laughs> Be gentle on yourself. Sorry, Stephanie, there's a reason why you dethroned her. <laughs> Sorry. I'm good at process. I'm not good at a lot of them. Let's go to the fourth one, which is coach potential. That's the fourth essential role. Um, this, I think, is very difficult for leaders. Uh, there's a couple of key pieces here. It's how you create a culture of feedback. Your skill set in being able to specifically, uh, in, a, in an effective way, say, this observed behavior had this impact, yeah. both positively and also when you need instructive feedback. And um, how do you coach so you create other leaders? So it's not a culture of dependency, right. but you're actually developing. Or micromanaging or Micromanaging telling, yeah. that leadership because it's so tempting. And not everyone wants to be coached in the same way. No. Sometimes people, leaders will become aware that they need to be a coach also. And some people like coaching in private. Some like it in real time. Some like it after the fact. Some like... Everyone likes it a little bit differently. It needs to be done regularly yeah. and not held to some point in time. And it requires a level of courage, yeah. right? right? Thank you, know, thank you so it much does. for what you did here. Yeah. This was the impact. Yeah. And by the way, when you did this, this was the impact. Right. Instructive. Right. Uh, and then the coaching. Do you have the framework to be able to ask the right questions and empower people and show how they have the capability versus just give the answer? And sometimes that's expediency. And be able to listen when it's appropriate also. We'll talk about that. Deeply listen. Okay, let's get in. Let's spend four or five minutes on each of these four okay. roles. And we'll talk about how well you and I are doing at that, right? Mm -hmm. um, Self-assessment. I won't assess you and you can't assess me, okay? <laughs> well, I've got people watching that will assess me, right? And they're <laughs> me, saying, is oh, that trust true? Me. Me, me as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's take a dive into Inspire Trust. The content we chose to make the cornerstone of this was from, as you mentioned, The Speed of Trust, which is our two-day trust offering mm -hmm. pulled from the book by the same name, The Speed of Trust, which has sold two million copies, over two million copies now. Stephen Amar Covey, who's Dr. Covey's oldest son, is a dear friend of both of ours, mm -hmm. and the real deal, is he not? The yeah. real yeah. deal when you talk uh, about this one. The four cores of credibility, integrity and intent, and capabilities and results. They're kind of they're kind of divided into two segments. Mm -hmm. Talk first about capabilities and results. We'll come back to the first two. Well, I think people think about capabilities and results. It's easier to put into behaviors. It's the I'd job, say. right? That's the yeah. job. So when you talk about capabilities, um, 
I once worked for a leader. People, you call it my sabbatical. I worked just as hard at that other organization <laughs> as I've worked here. I was being gracious, of course. <laughs> um, there Sorry. was a CEO. The CEO there um, would say, I may not be the greatest leader, but I am one of the greatest students. And when you think about capabilities, it's am I constantly looking at where my industry is yeah. going, am I relevant, what we're right? called on to do. Am I relevant? Are we relevant? Right, right. Am I thinking about the capabilities we have in the organization and if it's the right one? Yeah. It's a continuous building of talent and skill mm -hmm. and not saying, well, I'm at this level. And I think it's as relevant at any level because the longer you are in an organization, the more you're tempted to perhaps you know, feel you have some stature or you have some laurels on which you can rest or not that you would ever phone it in, but it's not true. You have to earn and re-earn the right to be relevant every day, especially if you're early on in your career, but perhaps more especially if you're, if you're longer in. You can become irrelevant mm. so quickly. We all yeah. know that, dependent yeah. on what's happening in your organization, right. things change. Right. And are you thinking about what's happening in three to five years? Yeah. Are you building your own capability? Um, one of the things I learned from, it, probably one of the books on this wall is sometimes just whether it's on your iPad or you go buy it, buy a magazine that you would never read, hmm. that you would that is completely bass outside boat fishing. <laughs> you never know what you could learn from bass I'm boat sure, fishing. I am sure. Let's rank ourselves: a scale of one to ten. Ten is high, one is low. Integrity, intent, capabilities, and results. Pick one and rank yourself on that. Pick one you're good at. I, I think I'm good at results, yeah. but I think many late leaders would say that. I think you have high integrity. I do have high integrity. Here's where I think that I struggle, and it even happened this week. Um, of course I have integrity. When, do you ever, when you say to someone, are you, are you trustworthy? <laughs> Everyone's like, yes. No. <laughs> yes, of course I am. But when you break it down, what drives that? Is there congruence between what you've stated as a, your leadership value and how you behave? Mm. Uh, do you have the humility to recognize maybe those motives are just like not as, as pure as I would have liked. Yeah, leaders there, are people too. There's more into yeah. that, and the reason I'm, I'm really struggling with this one, and then there's courage, and some leaders are super high courage and have no humility, and some mm -hmm. have too much humility right. and none of courage. Right. One of my stated, anyone that works with me would say this, is we uh, see choice as one of our fundamental values. You can choose how you behave, you can choose what comes out of your mouth. You can choose what you type into that email or that text. And um, I lost my temper this week. I heard you. I was on the <laughs> second floor. And I, and you I did not. Yeah. I mean, I don't really raise my voice, but I did raise my voice. And you could tell I was not choosing. I was triggered, hits my amygdala. Yeah. And so people are human, but I think overall, do you act in congruence with what you stated? Do you have the humility to look at your motives? And do you have courage to take on hard things? Is there somebody who's non-performing and you've just ignored it? Yeah, I, I, I told you I wouldn't rank you. I think you're especially high on the integrity piece, especially because of your own self-awareness, right? You're really kind of always bringing your, your awareness back to the values that you have that we teach as well. I think you know one that I struggle with is my intent because number two, is you know, what's your agenda? We all have a hidden agenda. We all have agendas that aren't always transparent. In, in, in organizations that are highly political, which is ours not especially, you're, you're not always judged on what your intent is. You're in judgment what people hear you say, how they hear your voice, your personality, your delivery. How you behave. Right, right. 
how often you apologize. Mm -hmm. I did sincerely. apologize. And so for me, I, one that I've always, what I continue to struggle with is really internally making sure that my intent matches my technique, so to speak, and that I am declaring my intent up front. So I, I'm struggling with that one. Mm -hmm. I think my, my integrity speaks for itself, and I think I'm, I'm strong in some of the others, but I'm working on making sure that I declare my intent more proactively so people aren't suspicious of my motives. And do they know, does your team know that you care about them? Yeah. I mean, that's part of the intent here. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> He's going to look over. Do they know? Part of it is, do people really not just know your intent in this situation or why we're trying to do this particular thing, but do they know you care about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Let's talk about create vision. Okay. So there's lots of parts on this, on this two-day offering. I'd like to dig deeper on team vision. Do you know where you're going? And it actually talks about how you create a vision statement here that inspiring team visions are aspirational. They require us to think big and stretch, can be measured, and they link to the organizational vision. I think you're exceptional at this. As the senior vice president, you're responsible for nearly half of the company's overall revenue, if mm -hmm. not more. I don't mean to, to, no. to overstate that, but I mean a lot, right? Especially as it's coming Thanks down to the end of the year. Thanks for trying to make me sweat right now. <laughs> How's that going, Jen? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're a sales leader yeah. and you're an organizational leader and you're required to set the vision for your organization. How and where do you struggle with this and, and what advice would you give leaders listening on their role in creating vision for their organization? I think regardless of the level that you are a leader in the organization, structurally wherever you yeah. fit, or even if you're an informal leader that doesn't have formal power, um, if, the first, if the first essential role is would people choose to follow me if they have a choice, this is are we relevant? Yeah. How are we relevant? And are we relevant in a way that people really see the sense of meaning there, right? And so you say, yeah, there's this company vision, right? There's this company vision. How do I connect to that? How do I, I connect no to that? Right. Um, I think it, it is your role as a leader to help people connect their role to what's important in the organization. And that requires you being clear, concise, compelling, right? It can't just be, let me tell you a 10-minute story about how we connect. No. Can you clearly, concisely... Or, or 50 PowerPoint slides or 50 with PowerPoint slides, them, right, right, with a bunch of data. Yeah. This is, can, do you have a strategic narrative about how in any... The IT organization that does your architecture and makes sure you're secure and people have their technical equipment, how, which is critical, I love IT, how they fulfill your company's vision, how they drive that. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a key part of engagement, key part. As a team leader, I would rank myself fairly high on this because having been a fairly seasoned leader with lots of messes under me and lots of successes, I, I think there's a calibrated point where you want to set big aspirational stretch goals, but nothing can crush your culture or force your people to leave when they're not winning. Mm -hmm. So you have to create a vision that is compelling and inspiring, but you actually can accomplish it. A vision we're going to go to Mars by next Friday is going to be crushing, right? But you probably can go to Mars. I think Jeff Bezos and Elon <laughs> Musk plan to. <laughs> my um, uh, my daughter's boyfriend works for a company, and he's working on going to Mars. Yes. So, yeah. and he's very inspired. And some days you wish he would. Probably. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I don't wish. I don't wish that. But there is an art, isn't there? There's a balance between setting big, ambitious stretch goals and also being able to achieve them because we've met the leaders that set layover goals and then celebrate them big and you're serious. Like, seriously, this isn't a high-performance culture. Right. 
We've also met the leader on the other end of the scale that, sets, that set goals that are so nebulous or so lofty, you can't possibly reach them. And then if you do, by like your last, last grasp of breath across the finish line, they're not that impressed because if you could accomplish them, they were too low. You're like, what are you right. talking about? Right. There's this calibration in the middle, is there not? There is. And, and you know, as we talk about it, we're thinking vision is the highest level summary, right? When you get to strategy, you've got to be thinking about all the really specific. I mean, think of our vision. Think of our vision at Franklin Covey mm -hmm. to impact the way billions, billions of, of life, people yeah. work, live, and yes. achieve their own great purposes. We're not going to Look achieve. Look at you quoting the vision statement extemporaneously. You go, girl. Well, nicely done. One hopes I know it by this <laughs> point, but I actually believe in it because we're not going to achieve that vision this year. Yeah. But to your point, if we—that's our why. And our goals have to be something that, and our strategic yeah, narrative right, has right. to be something that we can get to in a time where people aren't like, well, I'll it's, be dead before we hit billions. It's why you choose to work here. It's the why. Is the vision. It's That's the right. why. It's a That's big, right. important thing. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about execution, right? The third okay. one here, really around uh, executing strategy. This pulls from our four disciplines of execution. Right. And we've had Chris on before. We've talked about this. Most of our clients are pretty aware of this. If you've not purchased the book, it is the number one book in the space around executing strategy, the four disciplines of execution. We've had Chris on multiple times. But we also pulled a piece in that was really envisioned by Dr. Stephen R. Covey mm -hmm. and the original founders of our company, including Hiram Smith and Bob Whitman and others, called The Six Rights. And this calls from, I think, 30 years ago from some of Dr. Covey's best thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna just tell you, remind you what they are, because okay. apparently you forgot, processes, forgot processes early on. I know. But I know. the six rights, it says here, our core systems aligned to make the work easier. People structure rewards, resources, decisions, and processes. Which of those do you struggle with when you're thinking about the six rights in your, in your operation at Franklin Covey? And I see this one, frankly, with our clients, with other organizations I've worked with. I'm not trying to be in, of what everybody struggles with, but I'm good at a lot of them to some extent. I struggle with resources. When you think about this model, it's a continuous improvement model. Has anyone ever worked anywhere where all of these were completely, totally, perfectly aligned? And if they have something changed the next week in the industry or some merger and acquisition and it went off target and you had to do it again. This is a continuous yeah. improvement. Right. Think Six Sigma, right. think lean, think you're never gonna nail this and it'll be perfect. It's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. Process. As strategy yeah. changes, this right. changes, as people change. Mm -hmm. The one I really struggle with is the balance of resources. Um, you know, another quote that Dr. Covey had was, there's no mission without margin. Yeah. And you can apply that to any organization. I don't care if you're public, private, right. if you need enough budget to fulfill your mission or what you've been charged with by your constituents, you need the funds to do what you're going to do. And that's always a balance because I've never worked anywhere. I'm a trustee on a nonprofit organization, and I've worked with lots of clients. I've never worked anywhere where everybody thought there was enough budget. I've been there. That there were yeah. enough people allocated right. to this, that the right technology was in place with technology ever evolving. Maybe there's a company out there that I haven't worked with, but that's the one. I think it's the White House. <laughs> I think it's running really smooth right now. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Here's me. <laughs> keep going. No comment. No comment. Um, I, I really think 
that's the one, I mean, we struggle with things. Recognition is always an ongoing, are you recognizing people enough? Yeah. Do you have the right people? Are we structured the most effective way? Are decisions at the right level? Are we aligning processes? But the one that has the most emotion that I experience is, well, we could do that if we had this new system. We could do that if we had these additional people. We could do that if you put more money towards this. And I think as a leader, you're always make a decision as to what is, what is the best I can do right here with the resources that we have. And nobody's ever happy. I can promise you that. Nobody is ever happy about their level of resources. You're constantly juggling that sure. one yeah. because you, you do something. Uh, I think it was Michael Porter said, part of strategy is deciding what to say no to. Mm -hmm. This one, you get down to, okay, here's all the choices. This is what we're going to do. And you may solicit a lot of feedback, and you may go a lot of places to decide where to allocate them, but I struggle with that one in every role I've ever been at because it's one that you just feel like nobody ever thinks I've got it right. I think overall you're exceptional at this one. Uh, execute strategy, how would you rate yourself overall? Give me a number. <laughs> I'd Ex say a nine. Come on. I think you're good. I think you're really good. I want to be more humble because we just talked about okay, being 8. humble. 5. Okay, 8.5. Okay, so, so I think it's a nine. <laughs> so within this execute strategy, the third role, there's really two big components. The six rights, and we mentioned the four disciplines of execution, which are, of course, discipline one, focus on the wildly important. That's around goal structure, right? Yep. What do you say no to? What do you say yes to? What do you elevate above what the authors call the whirlwind? Right. Discipline two, act on the lead measures. What are the things that are influenceable? What can you control versus the lag measures? Both are important. Predictive. Right? They're predictive, right. influenceable, and um, honestly, the behavior that you really think will have the leverage. As, as a sales leader of a global operation, you're living there every moment of every day, right? What is a lead and what is a lag, and how do you balance the information you're getting from both? Right. Discipline three, keep a compelling scoreboard, yes. which we're excellent at in Franklin Covey. I think we're great at looking at the predictive measures and where are we, where should we be. And then lastly, create a cadence of accountability. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a, a high accountability culture, right. which drives a high performance, high trust culture? Let's move to the fourth essential role, okay. which is really about coaching potential. Now, this is a, kind of a new... This is a new... Uh, genre of leadership that's kind of sweeping the world, is it not? We're talking yes. about leaders as coaches, coaches in real time. Talk about what you've learned around how essential coaching is to leadership. Here's the thing about coaching. I think we're in an interesting space, but maybe it won't ever go away. If someone says to you, we need to better develop our leaders, my first question is, help me understand what you're already doing, what you don't have, how you define leadership, right? We have a definition. And we have a way that we do that, but that's such a term. You know, what does somebody mean by that? Coaching is even more so because it's the term, but there are, of course, there's the International Coach Federation. There are coach right. certifications. Yeah, right, there right. are coaching companies. They, they have methodologies. Is that what you mean by coaching? Yes. So um, it's really an interesting one. With your skills. With and your, your skills, what yeah. you're trying to do. Right. And, and if... If that's not what you mean is, so yeah. anyway, coaching is an interesting term because you do have to find out what people mean. The way we have really addressed coaching is number one, do you create a culture of feedback? Do you have a solid feedback approach? Yeah. Both in soliciting it for you and being able to very clearly say this was the behavior and this was the impact, both 
in recognition. Positive and critical. Positive and right. negative. And, yeah. and of course, you need to really focus on be, there being more positive, right? Um, uh, so that people don't feel like it's just a constant nitpicking yeah. criticism, right. but you also have the courage to right. say the other. And then do you uh, have the skill set, listening, questioning, acknowledging, to be able to coach people, ask the right questions, instead of you calling me and saying, so Jen, what would you do in this situation? And me saying, well, I would do this. Goodbye. Right. Obviously, I have now bestowed which is, my knowledge. Which is kind of counterintuitive because most leaders think they're paid to impart knowledge on their experience and solve the problem. But it takes that calibrated discipline to not just rush in and say, I'll solve it for you. Here's what I would do. That's not coaching. It's Solving. not. Solving. And it's, you know, now that I have this definition in my head, um, I work with leaders. And one I work with in particular here, I, I said once, I don't want to be coached. I don't want you to point out where I've had experience with this before and mm -hmm. how that applies yes. here and how my knowledge and what do I think. Yeah. I just want you to tell me what to do here. I think that's and so, he laughed. I think there's wisdom in that. <laughs> I, had, I once had a colleague come to me that felt like they were being coached. And the, and the person was saying, I don't need you to ask me four more times, well, how would you approach this if you were, no, just actually in this one, I just need you to like, Help me out. Well, and sometimes they're so cut and dried. Yes. You know, we're a public company, so there's revenue, revenue recognition right, rules. Right, right. If somebody says, um, oh, I, I've forgotten it. Is that recognized this way or this way? Right. I do don't say, <laughs> how do you feel about general accounting practices? No, that's ridiculous. Yeah, right. You know, I just say, here's where you could find it. I try to build the capability. But this is really, you are working on creating other leaders. And organizations tell us they don't have enough ready now leaders and they need help addressing the challenges yeah. so that people have enough ready. Part of it is, are your leaders seeing as part of their role, allocating the time to coach, creating just answering every question? Yeah. Well said. I, I, I've written a book recently and in all my interviews in this book, I've been a, a pretty strong evangelist about the fact that I think a, num a leader's number one role you could argue there's lots of them, is really around recruiting and retaining talent. Because in this fierce war on talent, unemployment, 3%, whatever it is, is everyone's being recruited every day of the week. If you don't think your people are receiving overtures from LinkedIn, you're naive and mistaken, right? From every recruiter in the nation. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. you want to build a culture where people feel engaged and valued and that they're winning and that they're stretched, but also that they're learning that you're there to help improve their skills. Of all the four roles, which I'm passionate about all of these, we both have facilitated this with clients. Yes. I think this is, the, is one of the most actionable of all the four roles because it really challenges a leader to think about their role in retaining and recruiting talent and investing in people. Well, you know, when you think about, we have a, def, a definition of engagement and we, we, we built these roles around it. We talk about engagement in this way, and it's I'm a valued member, yes, which is what you're talking about right here. Yeah, right. And there's a lot more that goes here. We said this was the 80 and 20. I think diversity and inclusion efforts go here. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, there's a lot, but I'm a valued member of a winning yeah. team, right? Yeah. That's the execution doing piece. Meaningful doing work. meaningful work, vision, purpose yeah. is tied yeah. in an environment of trust. Yeah. And if you really unpack that, I think we've had, at least in my career, that, uh, that, that they feel valued. Will someone do the birthdays here in the office? Or will someone, you know, that's, I've got to go get this result. And it is true. For most leaders, if you don't get the results, you'll eventually not be the one doing that sure. role anymore. Sure. But 
how do you do the results in a way that you're creating that engagement and people bringing their best efforts and you're rising up the next level of leaders and that you're not in a crisis moment? Yeah. That co I agree with you totally. Coaching is so critical. And in the speed of the day, the expediency of the day, you can think, it okay. Is. It can be counterintuitive, right? So I got to move on. I got to move because on. Because there's that natural tension between... I just need to get stuff done and move it on. I don't have time to have you weigh me down. And if you have that short-term mindset, you'll be thinking the same thing four months from now because you won't be building any capacity. You'll still be the leader where everything's dependent upon you. Where there's a line out the door. People want waiting for your pontification. For your pontification yeah, because I can't, do it. I can't do it yeah, without I've been you. on both sides. And some people, I've been in the paradigm where, yes, but I have a super high quality standard and why the CEO trusts me is because he knows that I'll approve everything or she and there'll be no slip-ups. And that's not, a, um, that's, not, that's not a bad paradigm. Right. But you'll be doing the same thing a year from now with the line out of your door. So there's this constant tension of how do you build capability and still decide when should you be involved at a macro micro level as well. It's, it's, it's a maturation we all go through. Well, and I think there's, that's why there's a balance. Some of us get stunted. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us, well, there, there, that's why there's a balance there of having a feedback culture and a coaching culture because while you're creating capability, and I think by far that's something that we all have opportunity to work on, we're creating the conditions for engagement. Truly, and I've had this experience, and maybe this says more about me than some of the individuals that I'm thinking about, but if I've coached you on this, we've had a detailed one-hour yes. conversation, yeah. we've had the feedback, we do it, and you're still doing it two, two years later, yeah. and I don't usually wait two years, I'm like... There's a performance. We've, like, yeah, we've right. talked about this. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I've, I've written in some <laughs> of my blogs that uh, I've been a formal leader for, gosh, 20-plus years. Mm -hmm. you, uh, you're you much older than I am, so I'm sure you're... Um, I'm your age. I, I think you're younger than me, actually. Seriously. I think you're a little bit younger than me. Seriously. We, we've both been in formal leadership roles for two decades. Mm -hmm. When I have someone inevitably reach out to me on LinkedIn or pass me in the airport 10 years later, that, that worked for me, perhaps I separated them, perhaps they left. Uh, of, all the, uh, of all the vitriol that comes my way in Glassdoor, occasionally there's a, there's a positive comment, and it usually always goes like this. Someone will say to me, almost without exception, Scott, you were the one leader who had the courage to talk to me about my blind spots. You told me what my challenges were. And I think and part of that coaching component, which I would rank myself higher now than I would have two years ago. Right. I think it's it's that's your legacy. You know, you no one's gonna remember whether I made my second quarter EBITDA 20 years from now. Now I have to do that to keep my job. I have to do that to build the organization. But your legacy as a leader is th this last one as much as any, is did you coach people out of their blind spots into new capabilities and build their competence and their and their character along the way? Well, I, I think that's why these roles are so essential, including coaching is if you're thoughtful as a leader and you think about the number of people influenced by what you say and what you do, and you take that responsibility seriously, you've thought about why am I doing this and how do I want to be remembered and what behaviorally do I need to do to leave that legacy? And, and actually, I feel, very, I feel exactly the same way. I will not be in role if I, and you said it very clearly, if I don't hit my yearly, my fourth quarter right, EBITDA. Right. Because that You don't funds, get the right you don't to get stay the and right coach people. To stay That's and right. coach people. There's yeah. things that you do to earn the right. But if I haven't built people that make a difference, helped 
because people obviously build themselves, but created the conditions and had the conversations, then why did I do it? Nobody is, I visited uh, my grandfather recently who's 95. And the stories you tell when you're 95 are about things you did <laughs> that enabled. Back in the 64, <laughs> my cost of goods uh, decreased by 4%. I was awesome at increasing the margin of X product. Yeah. No, yeah. you think about, of course your family and what you did in your community and with work. You know, he had had a speaker come to the uh, facility that he lives in about a program that the government works on, and he had visited that program, and he had advocated for things, and he had people that had worked on it, and he was passionate about this program. It's still crystal clear in his mind. Crystal at clear at yeah. 95. That was what he was talking about, and then of course he said, "Because it's my grandfather." And the speaker was great for 40 minutes, but maybe a little long, <laughs> long-winded. You know, all of my family is like. Concise. That's, that's awesome. Jen, I'm going to finish with this. You're one of the few people in the world that's had the privilege and opportunity to have worked closely with Dr. Stephen R. Covey, right? Mm -hmm. A man who passed um, about seven years ago, an iconic friend and, and father figure to many of us, and you're one of even fewer people who had the chance to actually co-author a book with him. Mm -hmm. You and Dr. Covey co-authored a book around career strategy and reinventing yourself and being relevant in your work and creating meaningful work. Uh, what's the biggest lesson you learned in your association with Dr. Covey? As you can tell, I get very heartfelt starting yeah. to think about it. Um, the, he was before his time in talking about culture being a driver, hmm. um, in talking yeah. about engagement. Now, um, you know, everybody is, but uh, the other, so he would talk about how organizations just won't be successful if they don't think about all of the operating elements of their culture. The other thing about him is when you spoke to him, nothing else happened. Yeah, right. It was really hard when you went places where he went to speak. He and, and I've actually, I've worked for other people like this since then. You have to have somebody that moves them because they are going to get so engrossed in this conversation that all the other people that want to talk to them or that have an opinion, you have to say, we do need to move along. Or, you know, right. you're going to miss your flight. Yes. Or, and, uh, and I've seen it in leaders since, where you're like, you're on stage in five minutes. Yes. You know, we have to <laughs> or, go. Or one. <laughs> um, or one, or you were already supposed to be on stage. I, I hope to be somebody who can be that attentive hmm. because we're so scattered. Um, and when I say we, I should probably say me. Well, no, because there's unlimited demand there's and choices. Unlimited demand and there's unlimited demand and choices. Um, yeah. But he achieved what was important to him and he had that focus. And, and frankly, I don't interact with all of his family, but he definitely, as a legacy, the, fa the family that I do interact with yeah. has that same characteristic. And I think in our company, you became a little bit emotional when I asked the question. I think it speaks to the the unimpeachable character yeah. of Dr. Covey. He was a man, is a man, that believed what he said and his actions were congruent. And we see that continue to be a guiding principle of our firm. Everything we develop, we talk about what would Stephen think. And although our firm's not based only on his brand, no, clearly, no. he has a bit of a Jiminy Cricket you know, uh, aura that stands with us to keep us guided in the right direction. Well, I think that's a wonderful legacy because when you think of all of the other authors that we've worked with, content developers, we've acquired outside, yeah. we're thinking about is it in alignment with one of our values, our commitment to unwavering principles. Yeah. 
And like I said, tools and practices and things change and evolve. And we have evolved significantly in, in how we apply those and who we look to to help us take, go to the next level. Um, and we have a core history. Yeah, that guides our future. Jen, Senior Vice President Franklin Covey, co-author with Dr. Covey and uh, a lead designer of our new manuscript coming out in about a year and a half or so on the Four Essentials Leadership. Thanks for joining us. We'll have you back when the book comes out as well, too. Thank you, thanks sir. I appreciate your time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Great conversation. If you've not checked out the Four Essential Roles of Leadership, you can visit franklincovey.com. There is a section dedicated to our leadership solutions. And if you're not subscribing to On Leadership, this is now the world's largest uh, downloaded, shared, viewed, accessed leadership newsletter that comes out every week. It's complimentary. It comes out on Tuesdays around 8 o'clock Eastern time in the U.S., via email. It features an interview just like this today with a thought leader, sometimes live in the studio, sometimes on camera. It includes a downloadable tool from one of our many solutions and a blog written by me. Visit franklincovey.com, click on the On Leadership tab, subscribe your family, your friends, your 95-year-old father, and everybody in your organization. We'd love to have you be part of the On Leadership community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you back here next week with a new guest.